Hello, I'm George Abernathy, the proud president of FreightWaves, and we're having quite our first day of Global Supply Chain Week, FreightWaves' first Global Supply Chain Week, but I promise you it won't be the last. And it's really not just Global Supply Chain Week, it's Global Supply Chain Week and a day. This will be eight days of this fabulous content. I'm really excited um, in our uh, military aerospace and manufacturing day to be joined by Jason Coker. Jason's the Vice Director of Arnold Engineering Development Complex. Jason, thank you for doing this. I'm really looking forward to having our chat. Yeah, me too, George. I really appreciate the invite. Uh, great opportunity for us to, to get the word out about what we're doing. So uh, thanks for the invite. Glad to be here. Wow, thanks for doing it. Let me level set for everybody a little bit on uh, Jason, Jason's background and what he does. So Jason is the Vice Director, as I said, of the Arnold Engineering Development Complex headquartered at Arnold Air Force Base, Tennessee. The complex employs more than 3,000 people and comprises more than 68 aerospace test facilities across eight states. With facilities at Arnold Air Force Base in Middle Tennessee and operations locations at places like Ains Research Center, Mountain View, Edwards Air Force Base, um, all in California, Peterson in Colorado, Kirkland, White Sands, New Mexico, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. There's a large group, and I won't go through all of them, but the uh, AEDC offers a suite of test capabilities to simulate speed, temperature, pressure, and other parameters over a wide range to meet the needs of aerospace system developers. So we're on mil military and aerospace day. So Jason, I'm really looking forward to this. So um, we're going to we're going to cover a number of things really interested in you just really talking about what it is that that you guys do. But I'll try to tee it up with um, with, you know, asking about, you know, how does the, the, the national defense strategy really shape the DOD's the Department of Defense's strategic focus? And what does that mean to, to you and future systems development? Yeah, thank, thanks, George. Uh, that's good. I appreciate the introduction there as well. You know, uh, yeah, so uh, in 2018, uh, um, uh, the president put out the, the national defense strategy, and it, it really kind of shaped the vector of uh, uh, where we've been headed, you know, si since that time. And, and there's some key areas that, that are really being focused on as part of that strategy. And I'll, I'll roll into to the areas that uh, um, Arnold's supporting. Uh, but, you know, you know, one of those areas was obviously missile defense is a big area. Uh, hypersonic weapon systems is a big area. Uh, nuclear modernization, uh, command and control, and uh, and uh, overall uh, joint uh, joint operations with uh, uh, with our counterparts and and uh, um, coalition countries uh, in uh, NATO and things like that were were a big part of that national defense strategy. And uh, here at Arnold, uh, what what we really focus on is the aer aeronautical piece of that. You, you know, you just based on. Uh, you know the capabilities you, you you described there in the introduction. Uh, one of the a couple of the areas that we really have a significant priority and play a significant role in in working is the uh, hypersonic weapon systems development, as well as nuclear modernization and space. And space was one of the other components that. Uh, or, or are a very big part of the national defense strategy. So, so we play a real integral role here at Arnold in, in the way of is it helping to move on. Uh, kind of, kind of two, two. It's kind of a two-pronged approach. We have uh, 
Um, we, we look at the opportunities to develop technologies uh, to support space, to support hypersonic weapons and, and nuclear modernization. We also, uh, you know, come into actually testing those systems, uh, you know, in the ground test mission. Um, there, there's kind of a, you know, a multi-step process. And, you know, and if, and if you look at it sort of like a logistics chain, uh, what you'll notice is that as you're building a weapon system, you know, you kind of develop uh, new technologies and components and, and, and uh, you know, capabilities that you'd like to see in that weapon system. And then you begin start integrating some of those components. And then it's not long that you start having to test those components. And, and, and then, then as you go a little further down the chain, then you start putting the components into a prototype weapon system. And then eventually you're going to go out and, and fly or, or test that weapon system either on a range or on an open air activity uh, where, where the full up weapon system is, is uh, put together for that. And so, so we kind of feel, we, we kind of cross the um, uh, technology development and the testing piece of that you know, weapon systems development logistics chain here at Arnold. And, and so we, we have virtually all of the, the nation's uh, wind tunnels, all of the nation's, or uh, uh, at least a large part of the nation's test capability when it comes to developing technologies for hypersonic weapon systems, uh, especially aerothermal, uh, um, you know, testing uh, aerothermal effects uh, with a hypersonic weapon system as an example that is traveling at Mach 5 and, and above. Uh, uh, what you have is, is a situation where atmospheric heating on those systems is extreme. And so one of the things we have is a, uh, uh, that we do here at Arnold's is provide a, uh, a system that actually can create and simulate those aerothermal effects on that weapon system to, to be able to simulate how well will it operate. Um, you know, and, and it, will the heating create a situation where the aeroflow over that weapon system makes it unstable? You know, th those are those are key components. And so yeah, as you're looking through the chain of, of developing a weapon in the Department of Defense, we're in that, that kind of, you know, if you look at it as a logistics chain of the things that have to be done to get that weapon out to the field, you know, we're in that testing place. And we also kind of cover the uh, the technology development. So um, so we work with the Air Force Research Lab is also on base with us. And they're a little earlier in, in that testing change because they're really looking at how do I develop a new technology? I want a new sensor on this hypersonic weapon so that when it comes in out of the atmosphere, it's going to be able to basically open its eyes, if it's an infrared sensor as an example, and be able to identify what that target is and then be able to guide itself to that target. And so so you might use GPS uh, and uh and other uh, satellite communications capabilities to get that hypersonic weapon systems to the general location. And then it's going to open up its eyes at the end and say, ah, there's my target. And if it's moving or whatever, you may want to be able to maneuver to get to that target. And so the technology of uh, an advanced sensor like that is also something that we do at Arnold, uh, kind of working and developing those, those components and pieces necessary to create an integrated system that can be eventually manufactured uh, by one of our uh, major contractors and things like that. So, so th th that's just kind of an overall layout of, of our view and, and kind of how we fit into that. Uh, and, and I'll go ahead and mention, if I got the time here, you know, uh, space, space is one of those components. We, we've got uh, multiple space chambers here. 
Um, uh, so space is, is a growing area and, and we'll probably, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, and then nuclear modernization, you know, we, we have a, uh, um, a place out at Hill that's, that's working, uh, Hill Air Force Base in Utah, uh, that is, is working on nuclear modernization as well and, and, and getting our nuclear inventory uh, up, up to date and modernized. It, it hasn't uh, been up to date and modernized in years. And so, so those are kind of the, the key areas where, uh, you know, Arnold really kind of fits into the, uh, to the overall national defense strategy. That's really fascinating, Jason. I, I, I genuinely appreciate it. And I've got so many different directions to go. I, I would like to talk about space and, and some of the commercialization downstream. But let me, uh, you, you describe so many different elements within that chain that you're dealing with. And how does Arnold, and what are the key challenges that Arnold has to deal with and overcome if there was a, a constancy in, in the DOD's strategic focus, but I think you guys you guys may have to deal with some changing focus. How how do you guys deal with that at Arnold? Yeah, so uh, I think this is how I'll answer that question. Uh, you know, um, obviously there's a lot of challenges, right? Uh, you know, there, there's a, there's constantly, uh, you know, uh, everything from overcoming the general bureaucracy of the Department of Defense to, to really, you know, get, getting down to, to driving. Well, what do we need to do to really meet the, the, the customer in demand? The, the thing that we struggle with at Arnold the most, and I don't want to digress for too long, but I'm going to digress for a minute. Um, it, one, of, one of the points in my career, not too many years ago, I was working at a, a, the Office of Secretary of Defense at the Pentagon. Uh, working at the Test Resource Management Center. And we had conducted a study. Uh, one of the things they were trying to do is, you know, how can we reduce the test and evaluation infrastructure to save a little money in the Department of Defense? Well, one of the results out of that, uh, that study that they had us do, and this was about 2012 when, when that happened, was um, we, we noticed and we kind of did a back of the napkin estimate uh, that the, the, the amount of money that was being put into the major range and test facility base and uh, that, that t major range of test facility base is set up. It provides 24 strategic centers across the nation in all the services. So the Army has some, the Navy has some, and, and the Air Force does. Arnold is one of those major range of test facility bases. That's, that's one of those 23 or 24, depending on how you're counting them. Um, one, of the, one of the things we found was that the amount of money, when you adjusted for inflation, uh, in, in that major range of test facility base, which has been around since the 60s, um, from about 1990 until about 2010, it, it, the, the funding for that had been reduced by about 40%. And what that means is that uh, uh, the infrastructure has, has really been kind of uh, in atrophy for, for quite a few numbers of years. And, uh, and certainly Arnold, which, uh, you know, had the lion's share of its capabilities built back in the 40s and 50s, is really, is really uh, you know, outdated uh, in, in many ways. And, and obviously trying to keep everything going, parts obsolescence, finding parts for, for, what, for systems that are operating there at Arnold is a challenge. We have systems that are operating at Arnold uh, that were brought over in World War II from Germany, uh, driving turbines and things like that. They are still operating today, 70, 80 years later. So, so when it comes to making replacements and upgrading those facilities, it is a real challenge. And it's also expensive. I mean, the, these ground test facilities are expensive. And so, so we are constant, we are in a constant battle of, 
of trying to, uh, you know, uh, keep up, replace old parts, you know, and, and it's not just as simple as pulling something out and putting something new in. Every time you do, you know, all the integration that's necessary as, as you, if you can't find the part to be replaced, uh, you know, with something that ex existed so you can keep that same system up and going and you have to replace it with a new system, then you're in a situation that it's very challenging to get that integrated back into these uh, highly coupled uh, uh, um, wind tunnels and integrated test capabilities, all the components and pieces, they all have to work together. Uh, all the instrumentation and data collection, it all has to work together with that. So it is a real challenge for us trying to keep these facilities uh, upgraded and, and maintained on a regular basis. And so that's probably uh, the top two uh, of the challenges we have. The other challenge we have is, is, uh, is, is meeting the capacity. Um, you know, going back to that study that I just talked about, what we found out, uh, I had a bunch of gray beards coming in and these were all guys that were probably 20, 30 years older than me talking about, well, we got tons of this and we got tons of this and we can cut here. Well, when we got done with all the study, they said, oh my God, it's all gone. Uh, you know, all those test capabilities that we thought we had excess capacity about because of the, like I said, that back of the napkin reduction in our funding, um, uh, there, there's just no excess capacity. And so all the services, including the Air Force, are struggling to meet the, uh, the test customer demand for weapon systems development. So, so we have a real challenge just not only just keeping the old stuff up and going and finding old parts and, and keeping things, you know, running and maintaining, it's also, hey, you know, even if I run it, you know, two shifts a day, I, I can't hardly meet all my customer requirements. And, and so, uh, so we're struggling. And, and when you're uh, developing a critical weapon system, again, going back to hypersonic weapons, because that's been one of our biggest focal points uh, on our over the last few years, um, we're in the critical path of many programs. And so we, we've got three and four stars calling us on a regular basis saying, hey, you gotta get my program in there. And we're like, well, get in line with the other three and four stars because they all wanna get their programs in here. So. So, uh, so yeah, so that's kind of the, those are probably the two biggest challenges we have is, is keeping these older systems up and going, getting them modernized and, and trying to do that while everybody's beating down the door at the same time saying, hey, we've got to get on your base. We've got to get my system in here. If I don't, it's going to be behind schedule. And, and so it's, it's a wonderful problem to be needed, but it is a challenge uh, meeting, uh, meeting all those requirements. Wow, it's, just, it's, a, it's so interesting, it's extraordinary. Um, let, let, me, um, let me fast forward from the 70 years or so ago of, of the maintenance and the work that you're having to do on some World War II things and, and talk a little bit about, and obviously uh, we're in the time frame where Mars is in a lot of people's thinking right now and what, uh, you know, what, what, what's um, occurring there and, um, you know, Space Force was established and that certainly... Um, presents a challenge. So how will that, do you see, have the DOD change the way that it operates in space and develops space systems? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, that's a good question, George. Uh, you know, um, I, I spent some time up at the Pentagon uh, right before I came down here, and it was just it just so happened that I was uh, working in uh, space and missile defense policy at the time. And, and so I actually had an opportunity to uh, I do uh, work with some some fantastic officers uh, uh, during that time. 
really st doing everything that was necessary to stand up U.S. Space Command. Uh, and so we, we uh, led a lot of the policies, things that needed to, to go up for uh, Secretary of Defense presidential signature for the establishment of the command. And, and so, so that was a big issue. And then, of course, the U.S. Space Force. And, and the difference, one thing that people may not understand, there is a difference between a Space Force and a Space Command. A Space Force is kind of like the, the Air Force. The Air Force trains and equips. They, they train the people, they build the equipment and get everything ready, and then they'll hand that over to a command. You'll, you, you, everybody knows what CENTCOM is, Central Command. But then the command uses all the service things that are being provided to them to do that. And so so we, we've stood up two things in the department now for space, which is the Space Force, which will be responsible for training and equipping and, and all that, that piece of it. And then there will be Space Command, which is going to be a functional command that will actually be operating. You know, how, how do all those space assets, once you get them to me, how do I work with the other combatant commanders in order to actually prosecute a war, uh, you know, if and when that time comes. And so, so there's two pieces of that. Uh, the, the one thing that we, I think we're really challenged in from the department perspective now is that uh, there's really been a renaissance uh, in, in commercial space industry. And that's been really good because you've got things like SpaceX that actually has the U.S. back able to launch men into space again. We haven't been able to do that for years now since the shuttle program ended. We've been relying on Russia to be able to get our people up into space. And now SpaceX has come along and uh, just this last year, and we're actually uh, able to, from a US-based uh, location actually, uh, are now able to uh, do, uh, do launches into space. Um, so, so a lot of those things are fantastic. Uh, working, you know, NASA's, uh, NASA is in Huntsville. And, and so, you know, NASA is one of the customers that comes through and, and works with us on a regular basis. Uh, but the, the, one of the big challenges we're facing right now is because there is such a proliferation of space assets through commercial, um, it, things like space traffic management is a big challenge now. How do we manage all this? We, we've got universities sending their own satellites up. These little CubeSats, they're, 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 you know, they're not much bigger than a, you know, a, a gallon jug, but, but you get those up there and that they, they eventually become debris. How do you manage that? How do you operate in that environment? The other challenge is, you know, we've got, um, um, uh, we also have some symmetric peers now, or our near near peer uh, competitors like Russia and China. Um, and whereas the U.S. has really been dominant in space for years now, um, they're now producing capabilities that are getting pretty close to what we have. And so, so uh, how, how do we prepare to operate in an environment that was once non-contested? We we were the we were the big dog in space. Well, you know what? There's other dogs in space besides us now. And so, uh, so we, we have to really focus on how do we defend our assets in space? And so we're, you know, that's one of the things we're doing here at Arnold. Uh, we have a spread, space threat assessment test bed. How do we uh, you know, assess what a different threat would be? How do we defend against it? How do we identify that there's a threat there? Uh, you know, and, and, then, and, then, and then how do we uh, make sure that we go from a, a time where we had these big and very expensive satellite systems in space to what they call a, a per, per, it's called proliferated LEO, uh, that's low earth orbit uh, satellite systems where there's lots of inexpensive and redundant systems. So someone can't just send a rocket up and take out our one expensive asset. Uh, we have lots of little assets now. How do we integrate and operate in this new world? So it's a very new world in space in the way of 
of how are we going to operate in the future. So big expensive systems are probably going to eventually go by the wayside and we'll be operating with smaller, maybe less uh, uh, exquisite assets, but but more redundant so that we will have the agility and the and the survivability as we're, we're operating systems in space uh, so that there's not just two or three things someone can take out and put us at a disadvantage. And so so there's a there's a just a whole world that's opening up and it's really been happening over the last seven to 10 years. Uh, commercial industry has just exploded. One of the things I did while I was at the Pentagon was uh, we, we were responsible for approving uh, commercial space assets. And even in the time I was up at the Pentagon for a year and a half, the number of requests we had coming through uh, more than doubled in just a little over a year. And, and so, and, and it continues to progress up that, that route. So there is lots and lots of people getting into space and so managing that from a Department of Defense point of view is, is a huge challenge. Like I said, it is completely new paradigm from where we were the only ones there to, you know, now there's, uh, there's, there's some big dogs that are up there operating with us and lots of little dogs, too. And so we, we've got to figure out how to manage all that. And so it, it is a huge full spectrum challenge from the department to be able to do that. Yeah, the, the implications for uh, national security just must be so significant as you're as you're describing you know now you know russia china but all of the you know commercial private elements and, and the like so as we come into closing and thinking about space the those implications on national security they just will, will they continue to evolve you know who 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 owns that who's going to be the the drivers of that is that DOD working with the you know the rest of of, of the, the the federal government. How how will that play itself out? Yeah, that that's a, that's a really good question, George. And and in fact, that was one of the things that uh, as I had opportunity to sit on the the joint staff there. Um, the, the challenge really comes down to, you know, now, now that DOD, you know, isn't isn't that dominant uh, figure in space anymore. Um, the commercial world is really beginning to have a lot of influence, even through the State Department and other areas. And so, you know, the, the Department of Defense, one, one of the challenges is, you know, we, we want to make sure that people aren't observing us. Right. We, we want to be we want to make sure that, you know, things that we're doing are operating because that that's just part of our national security interest when we're deploying or whatever the case might be. Um, the reality is it's getting to the point rapidly that uh, we just can't control that. Uh, and so one of the things that uh, we're, we've been working uh, when, when I was up on the joint staff was, you know, getting the word out to, to the folks that are, you know, our combatant commands as well as, you know, our major range of test facility base that uh, sometimes wants to test things and maybe not want someone seeing that. I mean, that's, that's just part of what, you know, uh, that's what all uh, countries do. Um, you know, and getting the word out to them that, you know what, uh, those times when uh, you, you thought that you could maybe, you know, wait for cloud cover or, or, you know, wait for the right time of day to go or time of night to go do something, those, those things are kind of going away. Um, and it's not just, you know, uh, people who we might perceive as a threat. It's, it's the general commercial industry has eyes everywhere in space. And it's not just infrared. It's not just visible. I mean, there's, there's radar capabilities that can see through clouds and things like that. 
And so the implications going forward is that we, we've got to figure out how to operate in an environment um, where, where, you know, what we're doing, we can't necessarily hide anymore. And, and so how do we change our, you know, our, our tactics? How do we change our strategies for um, both the way we develop a weapon system on a, on a range uh, that maybe we didn't want someone to see to uh, how do we deploy um, from a uh, from a combatant command, uh, you know, when we're deploying, how, how do we uh, how do we protect ourselves and, and make sure that all our moves aren't being watched? It, it's it's a tremendous challenge that, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have to face going forward. And the reality is, you know, it, the, the cat's already, you know, out of the bag, the, the you know, the train's already left the station, so to speak. And, and so now uh, we're in a place that we have to start posturing ourselves to understand that what we're doing is being watched all the time. And, and there's really not much we can do about it because we can maybe even control some of our own commercial industry here in the United States. And that's been one of the big challenges, but we've got all the foreign competitors that have commercial industries that they're putting stuff up as well. And we don't have control over that. So, uh, it, you know, so working those uh, things out uh, with our partners, our coalition partners and others it is, you know, it, it's a constant and growing challenge. And, uh, uh, the, the ramifications for that are, are going to uh, be things that we have to deal with really uh, uh, into the foreseeable future and beyond. So a big challenge uh, for the whole department to, to learn how to operate in this, in this new world that we live in for space. Oh, and, and the one thing I will add is, you know, obviously, you know, both space, U.S. Space Force and Space Command, you know, they're going to be the ones that are really kind of leading the charge of, you know, engaging with the nation's commercial industry through the Department of State and others to, to really kind of start working things like I, I talked about earlier, space traffic management. How do we manage all these satellites up there and make sure people aren't running into each other and people are doing due courtesy? And what are the protocols for how we operate in space? There's a lot of work that needs to be there for just peacetime operations that have to be worked out. And then, like I said, the, the national security implications will, will go on for um, a, a long time, a long time trying to resolve all that for sure. Well, this has been absolutely gripping and I literally could go on for a lot longer, but um, unfortunately the, uh, the, our time's up. I wanna thank Jason Coker. Thank you so much for doing this. This was fascinating. We're really, a really, um, like I said, gripping, interesting dialogue um, and, a, and a perfect compliment to our military aerospace and manufacturing day uh, at Global Supply Chain Week. Thanks, Jason, for doing this. It was terrific. Yeah, thanks, George. Glad to be here. Uh, I really hope everything goes well with it. Looking forward to the conference. And, uh, you know, uh, anytime, uh, we, uh, we'll, we'll always try to make ourselves available for you. So thanks. I uh, really appreciate it. We'll take you up on that. So Jason Coker, the Vice Director of Arnold Engineering Development Complex, thanks for doing this. and. To everybody who's watching, um, enjoy and uh, digest all of the information that's uh, coming your way uh, on Global Supply Chain Week Plus One, week in a day. Thanks very much. Be well. Take care.